Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. Welcome back. Yeah, we've been away. We've been away. Yeah. I, I think uh, I, I brought my microphone on my trip. And did you? I did. I did. I brought it yeah, like almost like hopes. a yeah, like a comfort blanket. Like if I need it in an emergency, I can call Raph and we can have a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, life got in the way. It was, you know what? I always have these. I'm always um, too optimistic about how much time I have available, especially on vacation. Like, and we were both doing work and yeah. Vacation. You sound like you're you're someone who treats vacation as a work schedule. No, no, no. I uh, I try not to. What I, I try and do is make sure that I'm spending time with Kristen, uh, quality time, and that we're not talking about. But work. she she had to correct you. Like your natural behavior is like. Oh, we're here. Why don't we just meet with all? And then you, yeah, uh, grab your Rolodex and. Yeah, I don't know if you have the same thing, but we have like rules. Like, so we have one vacation a year where we have to go somewhere where we don't know anyone, and there's yeah. bad internet. <laughs> it's like, you know, no. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Like usually, uh, we might travel, and then Christina's workday is a bit more hectic than mine. So, like, we we did. It wasn't a vacation, but we rented a place for four weeks. But Christina did manage to get time off, so she actually had more free time than I had, and then I felt guilty. But mm. I I have time off all the time, and I don't. So it's like I do need to work at least three. I used to only work an hour a day, but now it's a bit more. Oh, really? Hmm. That's an update. Yeah. Um, I yeah. I still always quote I'm the hour. To say. <laughs> you're you're still at the Tim. You know you've broken the Tim Ferriss four hour work week uh, rule there. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but you have but an, it's, you have it's a good fun excuse. stuff, so it's okay. You have also some good excuses. I know you have a show coming up in in London. Yeah. And uh, yeah, in Sheffield. In Sheffield, it's not in London. Oh, sorry, did I say London? Yeah, I just yeah, and that and that's, that's okay. Yeah, I meant Sheffield. Sorry. Yeah. Um, do you want to mention the gallery? Is that we don't normally yeah, promote it's called, them, so. it's called Sight Gallery. It's a it's not a gallery, but it's a what do, you, what do you call it? A, a, a not-for-profit art space. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, a, a really beautiful, giant, big space that we're going to fill with projections. So Awesome. Uh, and, and it's been... The, the show was supposed to happen last year, and because of lockdown and everything, uh, of course, it was postponed. Yeah. And so I had a lot of time to make new work. So we're, I think we're mostly showing new work, so new the websites and the NFTs and... The show is also a little bit about the transition from the web to the web three and all that stuff. Oh, that's interesting. I I, I don't think we're explicitly explaining how the the internet changed, but it it is something that I was always um, thinking about owning digital art and owning internet art and owning moments of the internet, and then NFT happened, and so this show is two years of this transition. Yeah, I mean the timing yeah. for you. Um, yeah. Also, at this point in this year, it's an interesting yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it, it, it. Originally, the title of the show was websites. I thought, oh, I'm showing websites. That's what I'm going to call it. And now the title is permanent distraction, because mm. I also like. I think I I talked about it a lot on the on this show of sort of minimizing social media and all that stuff. But then one of the things with NFT is you do have to get out there and tell people what you're doing and discord and mm. all this stuff and it's also really fun it, I, I think it reignited what i like about the internet yeah i saw you but, tweet that the other day this nft thing is fun and then it was interesting yeah. to see like hundreds of people jumping into the thread to yeah, th- yeah it is true yeah when it, what I, I was thinking about it a lot today that um we've spoken about this a little bit that the classic art world the contemporary art world its main currency is criticality and that kind of separates the the pros from the amateurs and and i really like that the main modus of of discussion in nft world is enthusiasm and not criticality Mm -hmm. and and maybe because it's related to tech and startups and finance and this kind of stuff but people are like they want to see awesome stuff and not just like focus on everything that's wrong I mean, I think critical doesn't have to be negative. I always like. I know, but my general, like, my feeling of the art world, and it's good for many reasons. It filters a lot of bullshit, but Mm -hmm. 
there's always this thing of like we decide what's in and what's out and it's based on exclusivity and, yeah no and that comes with a snarkiness and like a, a, a sort of hierarchical system yeah i mean I, I, yeah. it was funny yesterday i did like um ars electronica is on right now i'm sure some of our listeners are aware but impact and ars electronica were combined this year somehow Impact, of course, is like a festival that happens in Utrecht in the Netherlands. We've, I think we've both yeah. part- participated a couple times in it. Yeah. But they were doing like a party and they invited me as like a, it was like a mask ball. So but Yeah, with tell filters. us about your trip, like your whole trip. Well, I was also in Berlin for a little while. Um, yeah. But, you know, similar to you where things, the lockdown had canceled a bunch of stuff. It was a chance to come back and like meet people that I'd been working with over the last it almost seems like two years, right? And so it was, got yeah. to see all of our, you know, a bunch of our best friends. Constance says hi. <laughs> yeah. But also he was like, he def, he's, well, I won't say what he said, but he scorned me for something I said on the podcast. And I realized, you know what? People, <laughs> my friends are listening and I have to be like, they're actually listening. I have yeah. to be a little bit better to them because I really love them and I'm sorry. Anyway, we, uh, but things went well and everyone was super friendly. And that's the thing that, Can you, you know, the that, timeline of your trip, you went to Berlin first or did you go? To Utrecht, or what, can you tell me? Oh no, I, I just did something at Utrecht yesterday online. I went. I'm back to the okay. online pandemic mode of <laughs> like a party yeah, that yeah. happens. But online. so, what date did you fly to Berlin? Um, I guess three weeks ago. So what was that like? Yeah, yeah. Because this is also ago. you're in between two jobs, so you had four weeks off. Yeah, yeah. I'm starting a new job. Actually, I think this is all a good segue into kind of like one of the topics for today. but Yeah, but I want a little bit of your life update. Because, uh, <laughs> but I want, a lot yeah, going okay. on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I went to Berlin and I, I, I worked with, um, we had done a summer school at Penke Gallery where I, I did a show in the fall and, and Sokrowski, Robert Sokrowski works there, had put it together with a bunch of other great um, people, um, programmers and artists. And it was a summer school um, for people what that- were not, you teaching? augmented reality and then we were also okay. looking at platforms and like hey the we had this kind of like um hypothesis or or challenge could we create like a a platform for augmented reality which is you know how i feel about augmented reality it's both like hopeful and ridiculous at the same time and it's kind of this like future technology that's never quite here and so i always think it's like the it's like a great speculative technology for access because it you know it's laughed at so it's not taken seriously so i just have this this feeling like hey is, is it is ar the the midi music of the, the yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah i just think it's, it's the punchline yeah so, if we just all listen to midi music we could just have these low band with music streaming and it'd be way better well you know like when the nintendo wii came out or the microsoft connect there was like a ton of enthusiasm and a ton of experimentation and and honestly bad art we hacking got yeah like bad art got made, some good art got made too. But what, like, similar to your enthusiasm, there is no bad art. Exactly, this is the point. But like the the thing you mentioned about NFTs and enthusiasm, I actually like have learned to love the hype cycle for the exactly. enthusiasm. Yeah, but it it what I mean with the the enthusiasm thing is there's this sort of mode that you're taught in art school is just to dissect everything and break everything down and. Yeah. That's one way of working, but it's not the only way. And I just find it really refreshing seeing this other approach. Yeah, and I think one of the other ways we've discussed to work, and this is what I'm mostly interested in doing these days, is like throw myself into the the, the pool and then see how the water feels and then make sense of it once I'm inside of it. So I'm trying to do that more and more. And I, and I stopped doing it for a little while, exactly to your point, where I was like, well, I have to be hypercritical to the point where yeah. it can sometimes yeah. suffocate. Um, the joy that you feel for making work. So, yeah, I mean, because I feel like when people start a band, you're not like, I don't know, I guess you can start music for many reasons, but a lot of people just start music because out of fun, like fun is an important aspect. Mm-hmm. It's a big part of being human, having fun. I think it's also a big part of how you come across new ideas or you, um, you yeah, surprise but, yourself. But, yeah, I remember reading this text of Boris Groys, the theorist, and he was dividing the art world into two sections, and one section was optimistic, and he labeled that as design, mm. and therefore it's lower. That was implied. Mm-hmm. And then the critical part, that's art. Like, when you bitch and complain, then it's art. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, yeah. it, that was the... the I, I, I'm, I'm simplifying it, but that does seem like 
there's there's this whole sort of culture of like, what did you think of the biennial? And then you're most respected if you can tear it down and be like, yeah, I thought the curator said something, but actually I'm smarter, so I saw it different. And And, and that's what I mean with this currency, where it's this... uh, it's this intellectual hierarchy, and so if you can make the remark that tears someone else down, and it makes you smart. You know, I was thinking that, that a lot whole about game. That. Yeah, like yeah. I'll give you an example of someone I was thinking about this week in that regard. Remember Evgeny Morozov, the writer? He wrote this oh, yeah. book. You know, click about here to solutionism. Save the world. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, yeah, someone said a tweet to that like, guy? How, yeah, someone said this tweet is like, how depressed do you have to be if you're against solutions? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I was like, you, you create a movement that like is against solutions. I remember in the year. I know that it's that not that, book, but you know, what no, I mean. no. But I remember in the year that that book came out, that that was like it, people were hysterical for. I know for people were, it was like a, a cult of personality. It was all applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then in like, if you look back on that, that seems like such a, like a dystopic. <laughs> moment like when we need now solutions more than ever right for what are like several (laughs) world crises but it's the troll thing also a little bit like people are having a happy discussion and then you go in and like i can't believe you guys are talking about this that sounds so three years ago (laughs) and then everyone gets shy and they stop talking and yeah yeah i'm just gonna do my thing like uh you know and i think that's also like if if I'm going to catch you up on like, you know, I left my job and this is really the segue. Like, how do you know when to end things? And what I realized um, was I wasn't having very much fun and the opportunities for fun. I just needed something new. Sometimes you just need something new, you know? But how is the being away from work life and Zoom and all that stuff for three weeks? Do you dread being on Zoom all the time? Like, no, no. I think I said I texted no. you. I was like, I, my life has purpose. I'm excited. I'm like, I think okay. you know. I had I, you need that recharge every once in a while. Yeah. And I, I had yeah. a really awesome cleanse, like in Berlin. I don't know if it was like this for you. Um, I won't. I don't know if you want to say where you were, but you were in the in a U.S. state. Um, I was in Georgia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't know. Um, I knew it's you were in Georgia, secret, but I didn't know no. if you wanted to share. It. Okay, it's not a secret. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, you know, I was doing everything in person in a like in the gallery. Yeah, exactly. Because you had been uh, like on a webcam for a year and a half. Yeah, exactly. And but it was just like so. Like I got up every morning. I barely had time to like you know have a, a coffee. You know, ran out the door with Sakrowski. You know, we talked the whole way to the gallery. We talked the whole way back. We talked throughout the day. There was arguments. There were like frustrations, and you know, it seemed like we got so much done. <laughs> in such a short period mm. of time it was like it was really re-energizing um and maybe i'll get tired on zoom again but i've started i mean here in toronto i know it's like this in new york too you can go out for a drink or coffee now too and people are starting to meet up again and but how is the uh, back to the office thing or is that just not happening oh that's what never gonna happen that's over so here's what you like here's what i've resigned it's like I it's need to funny because do- my friends in the netherlands they hardly worked from home everybody just goes to the office like my friend's like, oh yeah, we did that for a month, then we all went back. <laughs> yeah, but I think here um, we're we're being told if we want to meet with our team, we get my new job. You have to rent a WeWork. Like, you're not even allowed to use the office to meet with other people. That's actually forbidden because of contagion risk. Well, it's two things. One, um, it creates a hierarchy where there's the people that are in the office meeting and then the people that are, you know, remote, and so that's not good yeah. for either. And then, yeah, the contagion thing is still an issue, right? We're still yeah. in this fourth wave. But, 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 but so you're not a, you don't have any hope for going back to the office four days a week or whatever? No, I mean, because I started reading people's plans for like 2023 and stuff like that. Um, and then I was like, you know what? By then, like behaviors are shifted too far the other way. You'll never get people. people so have moved you mean people bought a house somewhere else? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Every day I'm talking to someone who moved to the suburbs or the countryside or across the country to another country um so i think that that's over so then i'm like okay, the problem well, with the country is this is no good japanese food that it, well unless you're in japan yeah <laughs> it could be one of the countries Duh. you move but to. but yeah I, i'm sure it's the same in, in canada that the better restaurants are in the cities i was on a zoom call on friday and everyone was like what's the one pandemic location you wish you you could have visited you could visit and everyone and like it was like 75 percent of people said japan yeah and i was wondering why like it, I mean, obviously, it's a Cause great because it's, it's magical. Yeah, it is. I mean, I said Japan too because you and I had planned yeah. that Tokyo trip and we had to cancel it. So yeah, 
Anyway. Um, Anyways. But, but how so are you feeling? It, it, are you refreshed as well? Yeah, I, I was eager to come back because I like the pace of the city and uh, the density of things to do. And uh, mm-hmm. we, we did a lot of swimming and it was quite calm and I did sort of half work pace. Because August is always kind of slow, like the everything kind of slows down. Yeah, they are world shuts down, but everyone's yeah. also like kind of worried about their shows in the fall. Yeah, or but one thing I, yeah, one thing I noticed is like you sometimes you forget how how privileged you are. Mm-hmm. And one thing I noticed is like a lot of people either fatigue from uh, remote work. It's it's quite a toll on a lot of people's psychology. Or people have kids and that can be draining. Or people have food allergies. Or people have housing problems. And I just, the last few weeks, I've just been with a lot of different people. And every time there's a discussion, there's like people with problems. And I don't have those problems. Yeah. So I just kind of keep to myself. And then I start realizing, like, oh, wow, this is really quite a carefree life. So yeah. it, it, if, you're, if you're by yourself, you can sort of... Get down and get go. Yeah, but this is why forty percent of American workers have quit their jobs. Uh, they call yeah. it like the Great yeah, Resignation, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is what I'm talking about. How I'm, I'm sort of outside of all that kind of stress. Mm-hmm. I, like when people talk about roommates and those problems, and you don't have a roommate. That feeling. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Or like so, if, if you yeah whatever. There's or, or like someone who's single and there's like I can't find a partner and you empathize but you can't really understand it because you. Mm-hmm not been in that situation for a long time and yeah 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 but meanwhile like uh, much of the world does have roommates and that's very common to live with yeah and then like the the lockdown was really hard for people with children the lockdown was really hard for single people i I think for single people i can't even imagine so yeah i just i guess i'm I'm having a really good year so yeah, but there's no reason to feel bad yeah. about that. We all are. Um, no, I, I'm not feeling bad, but I'm like understanding more how hard it is for a lot of people. And uh, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, I think this is always our opportunity to um, to help others. And if we're do, if especially if we're doing well, um, it doesn't hurt to like you know, yeah, make a donation, which you made earlier this year to Rise yeah. Home, but. Um, yeah, whenever we have the occasion to give back, that's the... Yeah, but what I, what I wanted to say was that, to your question of, like, uh, vacation and recharging, I didn't really... It was just really fun, and we had friends over, and a lot of swimming, all that stuff, mm. but I, I was very excited to come back, because... Uh, you're like a phone it's not like, You're like a phone that's always at, 50, you know, 60 or 70% power. <laughs> <laughs> never never quite that? getting into the red or yellow. You never have to turn oh, the low okay. power mode on. on your no, phone. no, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but what I mean is that uh, some people, they take time off and then they're like, fuck, I have to get back to my job. But I guess you're excited to start. I'm excited. I have an you know, ambitious mandate and mission. Like, uh, like my skills are well suited to the opportunity, I think. I mean, there's a lot to do. Um, but, and I'm just, ex- yeah, I'm just excited to try something new after like 10 years. Um, and it's the same excitement I have as an artist whenever I start a new project, too. I'm sure, like, yeah. you know, that there's that trough of despair that's going to follow. So, like, we'll check back in on the podcast in, like, two months when I'm, like, having like, my first struggle. Yeah. Um, well, I think that would be hard to admit publicly in the beginning. Uh, like, well, I'll try my best. You'll, you'll ask, and I'll try and be honest, because I think that's something that people don't talk about, but it's the most common thing on any project, right, is that you you start out with a ton of energy and enthusiasm and then you very you know there's your first kind of hiccup like imagine you're starting a new programming challenge and you're like oh shit i i actually don't know how to program (laughs) (laughs) i thought i did but i don't and that you know that's an you know one example or i oh i thought i was in my head i imagined myself a better painter than i am right now and then of course you always or you know you often find ways to work out your way out of that and this is maybe a good segue into, maybe should we listen to the, the question? Um, yeah, this is a question from Jesper Norbeck from Copenhagen. Uh, let's have a listen. Yeah, let's listen. Hi, Raphael and Jeremy. I have a question for you. And the question is, when do you decide to stop working? Stopping work for the day or on a work of art or a larger project? What is the science you notice when it is time to stop or when something is done. 
And thanks for a great podcast. Please uh, keep doing it. Thank you, Jesper, for the question. Great question. Um, actually, yeah. this is a question. So should we Chris stop this podcast now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we have stopped it a, you know, a few times. Yeah. And, and we even just took this long break. And we didn't talk about taking such a long break. But we were. I think we both felt it like we needed a break. Um, yeah, well, I kept texting you and you were just having a lot of fun in Berlin. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put it on me. <laughs> but no, you're no, right. I, <laughs> it's true. I, I had a pretty open schedule, and I think you just had a lot of meetings. I so. did, I did. And you're, but you're, yeah. we've become good, I think, at sensing yeah. each other and not holding ourselves, like not making the yeah. other person feel guilty. It was a big revenue hit, like all the sponsors that we missed. <laughs> it's okay. I feel bad sometimes because while we were away, actually, I got quite a few notes, and I think you did as well from listeners who. Um, who thanked us for for continuing? To, it's almost like they're like you know keep doing it, keep going. <laughs> um, but you do need to recharge every once in a while. Whenever you've been doing something for for a, you know for a period of time, yeah, and, I think so. Yeah, yeah. So we're, I, it, we're back. it's funny. This question comes up a lot, and I've never had a problem myself thinking when is the work done. Mm. What about um, what about on like there's different scales in the question. Like the first question is like. Would you ever work like twelve hours in a day, or how do you structure? No. like, yeah. But what if you had a deadline? No. Like, how do you know when to stop? Well, you make it a, a year before. Oh, before that, but you don't. You don't do that. How do you know that a year's enough? Right? You don't know that until you've 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 made no, a but, mistake, uh, right? Okay. First of all, uh, my most of my projects, in my case, I've talked about this before. One of the stress removers was. You work with the internet with there are no deadlines. It's not like, oh, it has to get to the printing mm. press or the opening or whatever. You just publish whenever it's ready. It's like a Tesla Model Y. You could just put the parts in as they arrive or, or whatever. Like <laughs> a, you know, it's constantly being iterated on. It's like, well, it, it, do you remember when people made web magazines and they would do issues? Yeah. At some point, they're like, oh, why do we need an issue? That's something when you send something to print. Yeah. So. But to me, it's always an interesting question. When is a work finished? And I did change my mind a little bit the last two years. Well, you've had to do this NFT thing where it's pretty officially yeah. finished when you mint it, right? Yeah, a little bit more. But I, it, in general, most of my web pieces, I hardly ever change anything. Mm. Uh, I'll share, I, like, uh, like, I mean, I, I might... will change the pace of it sometimes if the display is larger, but... I see what you're saying. Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you might always, you might do one version, and then I've seen you do, like you know, two or three kind of variations on that yeah. theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the, the it, it what's interesting is that this question comes up so much. That's maybe one of my mm. interests. It's, it seems like a very big question. Because I've often said on the podcast, like, hey, why? I had this teacher who said, why go beyond the sketch? So the first question is, like, after you have the idea, you know, how do you decide how refined you want the output to be, right? Like, do you want yeah. it to be... Or not even refined. Like, maybe you went... You went too far in refinement and you have to take steps back and make it more rough. Well, yeah, you always hear like, I think we, you know, we've definitely talked about this a bunch of times, right? Like, you know, punk music didn't worry about like the, whether the level meters were like appropriately set. Everything <laughs> like, to the max. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was set to 11 yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But um, I, I will say one thing though, in a day, because I actually have had to structure this intentionally because I went through a period of insomnia. So, you know. I was working my day job, plus I do a lot of like mentorship in the community, plus my when art was career. This? Maybe like five or six years ago, I went through a period mm. and I didn't sleep for like, I'd sleep like one or two days a week for like, and I went on for like three months and it was really traumatic. Was there other personal stuff that was unstable uh, at the time? It was, yeah. Like I had reached a point in my career where I was responsible for a lot of people and all the, mm. these people as a manager just had problems. And then I'd also achieved a certain status in my career that I've since lost because I, I pretty much fucked it up at that time, if I'm honest with you, um, where I had like bigger shows and more opportunities, but I didn't really have the, you know, the time or the income from those shows to, to actually put in full-time effort. I never knew this. You never told this before. I know. I'm just being honest. And so yeah. <laughs> I had to start to structure my time more intentionally um, and start to design my day. And one of the things that I had to do was that I had, like, it's a very simple rule, but I'm not allowed to work past 9 p.m., which is ironic because it's 9.05 p.m. right now, but I don't, 
I don't think of this as work. Oh, I'm sorry. It's my fault. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. But uh, because my mind would be like racing right up until I went into bed, and it just it would never stop. But did this only start five years ago? Or did you have this in college or high school? I didn't have it until my like. I think I had in my 20s, I was fine, but it started in my early 30s and it kind of peaked in my mid 30s. And then as I started to redesign things, I, I'm well past that now. And it was a process of letting go. And I had this pressure because I felt like I, ha I had this privilege and opportunity to to be the best. And, um, you know, because I was the best in my field and it felt like I could be the best in art if I really just pushed a little harder And I was like not drinking coffee. I wouldn't drink alcohol. And last night I had to drink. I would never have done that before because I'd be like, oh, I'm going to be fatigued on the podcast. The podcast is going to suck. And actually one of the things that broke me out of it besides, um, besides just like um, structuring my time, like watching TV for an hour, the other thing was drinking. Like I, and I know that sounds really unhealthy and I'm not promoting drinking as a solution here, but it was actually <laughs> um, like I was in the UK or something and uh I can't remember what it was. But yeah, like, they don't have water in the UK. Exactly. It's, it's like, beer. why am I worried about this? I'm going to have a beer or whatever. And like, yeah. I started doing that more and more. I was like, st whatever is happening in front of me right now, I'm just going to do it. And then I'll worry yeah. about it later. But then really what ended up helping was Kristen started saying, like, it doesn't matter if you don't sleep. It doesn't matter if you do well or not. You know, then you always get through this. And she was such a great support during that period. And then I realized, like, all of these micromanaging kind of decisions, and I know I said I structured my time, but the structured time plus, like, not giving a shit ended up curing my uh, insomnia. So it was, like, taking care of myself, I guess, is the bottom line. Yeah. Um, and it, what, was it also from lots of travel and jet lags? Yeah, yeah. Like, it was just... Rhythm was messed up? I would, like, travel, and I'd be like, oh, I got to take melanin, and then, like... Yeah. And then I got to, like, perform the next day, but then I... Because you were traveling so much at the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think... So you, I don't know if everyone goes like, through Being that. an artist is not as cool as you think. <laughs> it was horrible. It was horrible. Yeah. yeah. And I don't no, even... No, but imagine, imagine if you had said at that time, like, I'll use my savings. Let's just go full time and uh, with the arts, and let's focus on performance. And when you're the performer, you have to be there. And they're like, "Can you come to Russia? Can you come to Japan? Can you?" And you can't say no to any of it. No. And you might lose your entire bio clock system. And I think that's why a lot of bands get into drugs. Is it's just you get into the zone where you can't sleep, and you're like, "Oh, I'll take some heroin and pass out." I don't. I don't disagree. I think the pressure is really yeah. high, and then you feel like you only have this one It, chance, and it's like what I mean is like. Imagine you're a performer, but imagine even in at the at the performance of not not like Michael Jackson, but like a kind of popular band that's still, let's say, three hundred performances a year. You know? Yeah, it's, it's it's insane. How many performances were you doing per year? Like, like twenty? Yeah, max. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So imagine three hundred is so crazy. Mm -hmm. How can you survive that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's why very few musicians actually do survive, like more than a you know kind of a decade on. And then you see yeah. those performers like ACDC or the Rolling Stones or something that are performing in their 70s, and you're like, these are clearly genetically modified human beings, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're yeah. very well taken care of. Like they have a crew that like pampers them off stage or whatever. Yeah, and then it it seems like a luxury, but like not many people can survive that. So if they need a masseuse, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, while we were off the podcast, the drummer from the Rolling Stones died, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Somber I, note. It's funny. Like, I, 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 you know, my dad was, I grew up with it, was always playing in the house. And so I'm very familiar with it. And But I never really listened myself. I started listening. And then I started looking at pictures of Charlie Watts. I was like, man, that guy was dressing really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's pretty like stylish. But there's a few people who can wear a suit and not look average but look special and it's like he really pulled it off <laughs> like a lot of people wear a suit and they just look like a businessman yeah that's me yeah i can't pull it off <laughs> well i think it take he i was reading interviews but you know it's the uk and they all have tailors and he's been designing his own clothes since he was 15 oh wow so there's a lot to it yeah it's not just it's not an accident well yeah. i mean so he knew when to stop working was like when he actually died which is <laughs> <laughs> like that's well, that, that's like another yeah. time scale right like I, work yeah 
I wrote this one haiku, uh, never working, never not working. So mm. That's kind of how I see it. I don't. Re- I if I want to sketch it in the evening uh, after dinner, I do it. If I don't want to do it, I don't do it. But that's just it. That's what I was kind of getting at in terms of like my own problem, and you know, and and what I've found to be useful is like I do terrible work if I worry too much about doing the work. Yeah, but that's my point of the deadlines. Like if you make work independently separate from questions and separate from deadlines and you're just like but that doesn't work like my friend austin lee if he doesn't have a deadline of a show he overthinks the work yeah he's like is this that this is maybe that that question of like when is it finished he'll he'll spend too much time on the work and it will sort of destroy the spontaneity and then when there's a deadline it's like oh i can't think too much and then it makes a bunch of work and it turns out great. Yeah. I mean, that's the utility so, of a deadline. It's just a line in the sand. In product design, we have what's called like a, a water line or kind of a cut line, we'll call it. And then we put things above or below the line. And the line is not necessarily a deadline. It's a priority line. Like, what is the, you know, what do we think would be the most impactful? And then we draw, we kind of, sometimes you'll like apply a, um, you'll apply some like principles to where you put the line, but other times it's kind of a subjective um, reasoning exercise. It's an interesting point because I think a lot of times I make software art, a lot of it, and it's very clear to me when it's done, when, oh, sorry. It's New York. Sometimes you try, (laughs) let's say I'm working on a, on a piece and uh, it doesn't feel right. I leave it for a month, try some other colors. And at some point you're like, oh yeah, that feels good. And then it's done. Yeah, and you know it's done when you you it feels right, and then you try to change something, and it's less good. Well, I, it you, sounds yeah. very obvious, no, but I know and, exactly. And, and but but the point I'm trying to make is that a software like Instagram, I think, was perfect in the beginning, and just started to suck more over time. Because there's too many like options. They, I think it was done. And then they're like, let's add video, mm. let's add chat, let's That's add this, let's add, let's add shopping. Of course, it's a more profitable app, but in my eyes, like just sharing square photos, no, I would we love talk, it. If we it talk about this all that. the time in product design. So basically, like, um, there's this there's this issue. Do you guys right? have a story feature in the spreadsheets now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> I no longer yeah I no longer work on the accounting side of things, but I'm still in fintech. But regardless of the software, like we'll often be in this place where like, and this is true for talk to like 99% of software designers and they'll, you'll ask them like, Hey, what's the percentage of users that use all of the features? (laughs) And it's like not high at all. Usually there's one core feature that 90% of people use. And then there's like a long, long tail. But if you remove something, then there's a very vocal group of 12 people. Exactly. So 80% of people, but like there were features that uh, when I was working at FreshBooks that were like less than 1% of people were using it. Now, like Google has this kind of is famous for killing whole products if they don't get the right engagement. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I know we, we lament some of the decisions that they've made Google wave, not being one of the ones many people lament, but like circles, all the stuff that they did. Right. Well, Google wave was Slack before Slack. I guess so, right? But they're just like, yeah. you know, ruthless about it because it draws down resources. It's like, it yeah. means the focus is not there in the in the areas where people I really like this, want their attention. There's this, there's this theory that Google sets up a lot of crappy products to make them look more charming and that it's all PR. Like, oh, look, we're really bad at mobile <laughs> phones. We're really bad at social networking. Don't look over there where we're cornering 95% of online advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not really Let's very not good regulate at us because we're really bad at social media. Mm. I think for so a long time... It was I just wonder the, if it's no, it, that, that conscious. But. I think if you visit their campus, you'll like... They have like an area where it's just like random ideas and a lot of them are terrible but they have this honest yeah and, and sincere it had this belief. kindergarten feeling of like you there are no dumb questions you can say whatever you but want that's because like most innovative ideas started out like gmail was like a hack or whatever from a hackathon yeah. sorry um and it was like someone like a programmer in their spare time worked on it and you know so there's these examples um but in software nothing's ever finished huh? that's the general well, state of mind you it, don't think of a finished design it's it's always in in an evolution yeah i mean it's been that way for a long time though talk to the consumer and like it was interesting working at freshbooks for a decade because sometimes i'd meet 
people who were like, you nailed it in 2008. Why did you touch it after that? Right. And I really took that to heart over the years because I do think more was not always better. It was often like, yeah, like we should have Excel just, from 2006 was the best. Uh, yeah, but and sometimes it was like just refining the core. The way I referred to it always was like, hey, we should really be, what if we were in the business of making surfboards, right? Like we would like, you know, when you see those images of people like sanding the surfboard to that like perfect kind of, yeah. you know, level so that you can just do one thing, which is go down a wave. Or sushi, yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think like, that job's never done, but it's a job where, like, it's ref- it's focused enough that you can, like, continue to make refinements over a long, long period of time. But this this brings some things to mind. One of the things it brings to mind is the Western art making is towards create a static, finished project that is encapsulates a mode of thinking, and a mode of thinking is fluid and is... is doesn't last and it's hard to capture but you capture this thinking and seeing in a sculpture or a painting and it will last forever that's the promise of art crystallized so the, the, yeah. the idea of finishing is very important and then there's other things like performative arts or sand paintings or instruction based works or music where a, perf- a music performance might be finished but the performance of that music piece evolves over the centuries and is passed on through conservatories and Mm -hmm. teachers and Mm -hmm. it's always and so this idea of a work being finished but even even paintings and and old sculptures they get reinterpreted by the way they're hung and the way that I think that's an excellent point the works that are shown next to them and so it's it's never done I think like yeah the only thing that's done ultimately like context is always shifting one's life means that you know the meaning like what i made 10 years ago i've you know you know go back and look at it i'm like oh my god i didn't realize like you know i was thinking this but obviously i was and i just wasn't aware or whatever or you look at so cool back then why did i lose that yeah yeah exactly like how how did i yeah how did i do that i I forgot but yeah and of course looking at classic works you know they're reinterpreted all the time and and sometimes yeah. they're reinterpreted in ways the artist doesn't even agree with, which I think is fine as well. Um, but ultimately, like that's maybe the, one of the best points you've made, like we've made, which is like whether you think it's finished or not, it actually never finishes. <laughs> like it, yeah. it you know, kind of goes on, has a life of its own as soon as you kind of let go. And that's not a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, actually. I, I do think there's also a thing where, especially with large physical installations in a gallery where you feel like the work is not finished, but you didn't have the resources. So mm. the projection might not be as strong as you wanted oh, it to yeah, be. God. Or the, the 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 black walls are not black enough, but there's no time to fix it. Mm-hmm. So And and then you fix it in post, basically. You make the photos and you make them look here's, better. Here's a question for was. you, because like this is something that obviously I've tortured myself over, and I'm sure you have too. And like the, you're at the opening after this incident where there's some imperfection, like there's a piece of tape you can see on the ceiling that you missed earlier or something like that yeah and it's driving you crazy and you're like you're apo- I, I would be the one apologizing to everyone who came in like i'm so sorry the show sucks it's oh, terrible. Yeah, yeah. and people are like but nobody knows no one yeah. knows and it's like literally it's the same thing who people who cook and they know the dish could be better but everyone's enjoying it and then you kind of ruin it for them when you're like well the fish is supposed to be crispier and i'm sorry that the vegetables are a little overcooked and you should uh, yeah. you should leave some things open to interpretation and just let people make up their mind. But that's the other thing that I remember from teaching. And so I used to I only taught one semester. You were very generous to speak in my class once at NYU. And I would over prepare for the class such that I ran out of time every single class. Like I had too much material that I was trying to get out. And I was stressed about it. Was that it. the time that you also had insomnia? Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you were I, traveling so I, much. I never slept before. Like, I was trying to work in two cities. And, uh, anyway, but, um, yeah, I forgot to. that's actually the same time, too. But then I got this great tip near the end. It was, like, near the very end of, like, the semester. But it actually did help in the end from another teacher. And they're like, Jeremy, you have to create room in the class for the students. Like, if it's all about you... Like this isn't that's really selfish, right? Like, but that's a balance. Like, you you also don't want to feel like these students are paying sixty thousand a year, and I'm not going to do anything. But there wasn't even room for discussion, and I think like, yeah. 
that's you know if if you if you do too much that's funny like you walk into the room it's like all right amazing new media artist jeremy bailey is here everybody listen (laughs) and then you just ramble for an hour and like Jeremy's left the building. Yeah, exactly. I had this like dead poet society kind of thing. Like I'm up on the, I'm on stage. Here we go. I'm, I'm Robin Williams. Watch me dance. Yeah, it sounds more like The Office. Yeah, yeah. It's actually more like Steve yeah. Carell. You're right. <laughs> like I'm yeah. the wrong. I mean, that's how they perceived it. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I've taken that to heart over the years since then, and really realized that my job primarily in these situations especially at work, less so as an artist, I would say, but I would be interested in your point of view on this. But my role is really to be like a kind of a coach or like a a maestro to like coordinate the resources to bring the things together that make the great thing happen. You also want to have a sort of guiding principle for the decision tree. Yeah. Because otherwise each each decision sort of leads its own way, but if there's a, yeah. a path for all the things like a logic... Well, in, yeah, in product idea. design, we actually literally use principles, and they're, like, designed to settle arguments. So they'll be like, mm. we have, you know, we designed have a Designed to piss off the cost- customer. Yeah, yeah, never... Yeah, it might be something like, yeah, like, never piss more off... More pop-ups, more pop-ups, <laughs> put some more over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The customer is always right would be, like, a classic one, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, mind yeah. you, that's, like, not... That's one used in retail, not in product design. But, um... But, but do you feel like when you do performances, there's not really um, a completion because you could do the same performance over again in another city where they haven't seen it yet? Oh, my and God. So, but I mean, I know when I've done well or I've done poorly and I, I really beat how myself do you know? up. Because I just don't feel good about it. Like, I know there was something that... But that has has nothing to do with stopping or starting. It's not like when it goes bad that you should keep going. No, that's true. That's very true. In fact, if you kept going, it'd probably get worse. Like, there because yeah. there are off days and, and, and good days. And often, what I've learned is that it's kind of outside my control um, at times. Like, it can just be... I don't know. I'm a very I'm very fluxus that way. But it, it, it it's something that kind of... That'd be a cool t-shirt. <laughs> I'm very fluxus that way. The fluxus that way, like it just happens, and it, it has yeah. a lot to do with the audience. And yeah. if they're picking up the what moment you're of down. the day in the room, and yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, and so in those cases, like again, coming back to that original thing, it's like I, I have to, you know, and personally, this is true in my day job as well. But I have to give myself up to the people around me. Like I have to give, I have to say, like it's not all on me. It's actually on us together. Yeah. And um, I think when you do that, too, you get better work because people start to help you with ideas. Like, I know we've talked about collaboration on the podcast, but like, there's nothing better than talking to someone about whether something is finished, actually. Like, and just that moment of critique. Like, while I was in Berlin, we were working with these, I shouldn't call them students because they weren't students, they're professionals, but some of them were professional artists and some weren't. And at one point I was just like kind of banging my head against the wall. Like, yeah, like, I, yeah, exactly. But we weren't, I wasn't sure if we were going to make it to this exhibition deadline that we had. And then I was like, you know what works really well? And I was, I actually, like, I didn't, I didn't know this. I started, I was like complaining to, um, actually Sikorsky's partner. We were like having, like, it was like late at night. We were just like having tea. And she's like, well, you need to give space to the participants. And exactly what I just said earlier. And I was like, Oh, I remember in art school we did this thing called critique. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> well, oh, critique's actually really effective. It's like when we all get together and we problem solve at once. And I just don't believe in critiques. I really disagree there. But well, and what ended up happening is like I did critiques and then I did one on ones, and we like we unblocked everything in a matter of okay. like twelve. So hours. it did help. It did. It helped yeah. tremendously. Yeah. But don't you think there's a side to critiques that is so verbal? It's so language oriented and it's a little bit designed by committee, like a group mm-hmm. all saying, yeah, we think it should be this. We think it should be that. I think ex- exactly. If it's poorly facilitated, it's a disaster. But um, there's a book on um, the, the design. I've, I, I would recommend to designers, but maybe to artists, too. And it's about like it's called like talking about design or discussing design. It's like an O'Reilly book. It's not like what you'd expect to be a great book, but it walks through step by step, like how to like run an effective critique. And I think that in art school, actually you, we've all had like a mixed bag of well-run critique. And if you go back over, you know, your different teachers and stuff, you could probably pick out 
the ones that knew how to make it productive. Well, I think it's, again, it's like the ones that get out of the way. Yeah, sure. And like, what's the goal here? You know, like they would make yeah. sure that that was clear up front and then they would cut off like the person that's like talking way too much or whatever, who's not contributing, who's just like, you know, self-centered narcissist in the room or whatever. There's different yeah. interplays. So anyway, I won't go into the, the details of the book today, but I think like the point relative to like, when do you know when to stop? What it is making sure that you understand the principles, yeah. what the goal is, Right. Where do you draw it's the like line? It's like when you're cooking. When when is the pasta done? Well, what I tried to position in Berlin too is this in software of this concept of the MVP, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. But a minimum viable product is not the least amount of work; it's the least amount of work to deliver the goal. And um, they always use this like skateboard versus Ferrari example, but it's not like delivering a Ferrari with no wheels. It's delivering like a skateboard because the skateboard still gets you your destination. It's just not as luxurious as a Ferrari kind of thing. Yeah. But uh, I think it is uh, interesting. Like, I come from the Netherlands, and it's a different work ethic than in the U.S. In the U.S., the solution is always just work harder. If it's not good enough, you work harder. And I kind of grew up different of, like, try to figure out the minimum you can do and that it still works. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying one method is better than the other, but I think this idea of stopping, there's a culture in the U.S. that stopping is kind of, it's always more hours, more better. Well, it's ironic, though, because like that's the opposite of the Silicon Valley, like lean methods that I'm describing, which is like, what's the least? But there's like a difference between hard work and smart work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think that the, the expression software kind of implies like it's a soft way of working or it's i don't know it's it's well what you said earlier which is like it's kind of never finished that's maybe the chronic (laughs) problem but Um, you need some urgency to go to the next hurdle and to fix stuff and and, yeah yeah i mean but that also the principles that um they use in california that are like the primary principles for like i would you know software but maybe just like business at large now they came from Japan, right? Like these were um, Japanese principles that Toyota innovated on, and they were like built on top of Japanese tradition. The idea that you stop the assembly line, whole assembly line, if there's a problem. Well, the the two core core principles, and there are like other principles outside of these core principles. Is like the first principle is respect for people. So first and foremost, everyone here has the same goal, and and also has some reason for being here, right? Like that we didn't just hire them because they're a bunch of bozos. So no one here is better than the other. We're all trying to achieve the same outcome. We're one team. So this idea of respect for people, respect for the craft, and every that everyone brings something to the table is the first principle. And then the second principle is what we were just talking about. It's continuous improvement. And that's the idea that we're going to deliver something that's not as good as we want it to be today, but we're going to work to make it better every day and that's the only way we're ever going to achieve perfection. Because if we try and achieve perfection, you know, on day one, we're, we know we're going to fail. Like, we just yeah. have a great history well, of failing. I feel like uh, maybe because all my work is software-based, even if it ends up being a physical work. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a tapestry or an enamel work or a colored mirror or a mural or whatever, it all starts on the computer. And so maybe what it is is I just have tons and tons of files sketches of all kinds and they're all unfinished Mm. and i never worry about whether one is finished but what it is is you you start making a timeline of sketches and then the opportunity arises the exhibition or the art fair or whatever and you go through your sketches and you there was this one that always appealed to you and this other one and all of a sudden they make sense next to each other you change them a bit and that's when the but that's this making thing. them physical or minting the NFT or whatever. That, f- but the they might have been on your computer for six years. But what I think also and, is like delightful in but, that example uh, is like you. Yeah, only, but yeah. Sorry, go. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say you only learn what's missing or what's working if you if you actually you know take the leap to put it out there, right? Like so. Yeah. The learning aspect of continuous improvement is actually one of the core you know, parts of how that principle functions, which is like, you can't learn if you don't actually do or make, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, but part of that's getting it out into the world. 
And the the NFT for me is similar to the domain name that you make the statement that the work is finished mm-hmm. because a lot of software work misses that uh, finishing statement where oh it's just a social media post it's it's in progress it's not done yet or it's a blog post or it's a file on Tumblr mm-hmm. and I like this gesture of there's a digital permanence and it's going to be here yeah and there's maybe that's similar to you of putting things on youtube like you had a lot of tests on your computer and then you're like no this is going live so it's it's done it's a work yeah i mean i used to have this philosophy of like only tests like because i was in, obsessed with this idea of like youtube yeah. demos as an aesthetic um and yeah that's true like a lot of the internet is about constant publishing and not worrying whether it's perfect Yeah, for me, that was like kind of the most fun period in my art practice where I was just like, also, I didn't have any reputation to protect. I was just like putting out whatever every day, like, and I would be just so excited to put stuff out. And I often put out things way too early. (laughs) But so you really didn't worry about whether something was finished? No, not at all. Like, because I had and And in a way that was a better way for you. It was for a period of time. I don't know if it really resulted like in great critical acclaim to our to to loop back to the original part of the podcast people would be like hey why is the like aesthetic so shitty and i'd be like because it's fast <laughs> you know i had a i had yeah, a mantra a, that was yeah. like make more quality i had a mantra i think i shared it with you at like a byob it was like make more work yeah. of less quality faster was my mantra at the time yeah but then that creates its own unique aesthetic and without thinking too much I, I still believe in the mantra, to be honest with you, because it's when I have the most fun. Um, yeah. but it, sometimes I also it's fun believe to push in the aesthetic. I, I really believe in the idea that uh, you're not in control of your own creativity. Mm. And there's something liberating by publishing often that you pu- you're free to publish bad works too. Yeah. And later on you can sort it out and... Uh, well, this is the thing. like You know, like it, like you're not your own critic and just... Yeah. Spray and pray. Yeah. I think one of the worries people have, though, if you think to like the invention of Snapchat is like within the history of the Internet, like we ha- we started out with this like. Yeah, that's a good point. This like young, joy- joyful freedom, like I'll post anything. And then I think, you know, some of that history can come back to haunt you. And I think that so we've gone through several cycles of this in Internet. But culture. we've also gone through cycles of. First, uh, photo sharing, uh, you know, it was on Flickr and it was kind of amateur to prosumer style photography. Yeah. Try to get the lighting as perfect as possible, the resolution, the color grading. And that's a high barrier to entry for a lot of people. And there's a lot of anxiety that comes with it because they're like, I can't compete with these photographers. They're so professional. I just want to show a cup of coffee on my desk. Plus my camera sucks. Yeah, on my phone. Yeah. And so every so many years quality of the photography goes down but the the spontaneity increases so post more often don't worry about it it'll disappear and that when you post something on snapchat you never worry about whether it's finished because it's going to disappear anyways yeah yeah it's i think it's funny that there are all these apps out now that like try and simulate the impulse like the the freedom of using like an analog camera like not worrying about the cam the photo you took and just like leaving it to chance, Making it, yeah, yeah. You know, like there's that. I can't remember. Yeah, you the name remember of the you app. would develop a roll of thirty six photos, and half of them were out of focus. Yeah, so there's a bunch of apps now where you have to like wait a day for your, to see your pictures and stuff. And so they're kind of trying to yeah. mess with the. You know, it. I think it's a great acknowledgement that like obviously the technology has shifted our behavior creatively, which you know I think mm-hmm. if you think about not just the internet but even working on your computer, because you can shift things left or right you know, ad infinitum in, you know, Photoshop or Illustrator or Blender or whatever, like you have the unlimited possibility plus unlimited iteration equals like it's never, never, you know, finished. And I know I've been working with a friend where he's been sharing that he wanted to post an NFT for months and months. And he like, you know, kept changing the tiniest aspects of this piece. And I was like, it's ready. It's ready. Get it up. (laughs) He's like, but it's yeah, yeah, it's true. And then there's people in in art blocks that I know they work for a long time and they would tweak an algorithm for half a year, yeah, and just keep seeing is this going to generate the a thousand interesting uh, units or are some of them still stinkers? And let's keep tweaking, 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 right? 
And those turned out to really make millions and millions of dollars. They did really well. And so you could argue there's room for both. There's room for a crazy Snapchat account that's a, a very successful, and there's room for someone who makes a generative art piece that takes a year to develop. Well, and absolutely. Like, there's I don't room. think there's one truth. Could, yeah, I would like, say like because there's room for Matthew it, Barney and Ryan Chicarton kind of thing or something like that. But yeah, like, but, but one of the things that's interesting is you have someone like Mondrian who would spend a year on a painting mm-hmm. and then, you know, do that for 20 years, make 20 paintings. And then there's the other mode where you follow a person and not so much the results of the personality. So you're just like, like the 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 rapper Takashi Six Nine. It's not like oh the music's so great. It's just the whole circus, the the TikToks and the tweets and the whatever. Yeah. And you're just following a personality, and it's kind of ephemeral, and it's not about oh he made the perfect album and every song is killer. And, right. But then like Beyonce you know. comes out, and like it's like some polished gem out of nowhere yeah. that with huge. But there's production something values. for everyone, I guess. But yeah, yeah. That, that, I, I do think I, I think the, the type of thing that the personality driven expression whether it's an artist or a musician or, or whatever it's cool in the moment but it doesn't have staying power just because of you know if it's mostly things that happen spontaneously on Snapchat you could record them but they're not as funny afterwards mm. and and if someone is more working on an archival format and perfecting it, and like, I mean with archival format, something like painting or making a, a feature film or something like that, mm-hmm. then there's more chance for it to ripen over time. And I guess so. Like I was once criticized for, like a curator said to me, like, hey, if you don't like upgrade your aesthetic, you're going to be thought of as a bedroom artist for the rest of your career. And I kind of like really took personal insult <laughs> in, in this remark. Um, like, because like, you have a bedroom? What? You said, don't you have a bedroom? Yeah, Let's well, also, like... Everybody has a bedroom. I don't know. Like, in terms of the the opportunity of the internet was for everyone to um, have the opportunity to share without the production value being the foremost, most important thing kind of thing. Like, it was about... There was a certain aesthetic that was the vernacular of the web, right? And um, to have this idea that we have to push down... And this happened, obviously, on the internet, right? Like, production values escalated over time and then of course now they've been templated to the point where everything looks the same and everything has the same kind of gloss to it yeah um and i think when that happens it's a normalizing yeah now youtube's look better than cnn yeah exactly like and i I don't know i i think they're like your original point which is like there needs to be room for both in corporate culture there's this idea of there needs to be room for two types of production one is like informal and the other is formal. And so you need like structured process, you know, like do it this way. This is how we produce capital and extract labor or whatever. But then you also need like a bunch of like pirates in the organization. Remember when, um, you know, That's Steve Jobs worked at Mac. And, yeah. When Steve Jobs worked yeah. at Apple, he had like his own building with like a pirate flag outside for Macintosh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, with no rules. And, and then they, they cannibalized themselves with the iPhone. <laughs> yeah, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, yeah, no, no, it's, that's the same point. The same but point, yeah. I, I do think there's a sort of the Western approach of art making, like outside of flick fluxes and happenings, all this thing. But the classic model of making a perfect work, like this is the perfect sculpture, the masterpiece, yeah, the perfect teapot, whatever. It, there's something there where I think a lot of people love the idea that somehow the artist is is such a master that only they know when the work is finished and when it's done you have to preserve it as perfectly as possible because they are absolute masters and uh, this is true I, for this I, is true for performance I, yeah. as well i mean like yeah but I, I but what i mean is that i feel like the way the world works now and the way things are done bronze is not the thing that captures that our thinking anymore and the screen being more impermanent and based on instructions and yeah. things changing all the time. I, I think, I think our relationship to like the work being perfectly finished is, is changing. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is like, there's this concept of like, if you're out there earning an income, 
you know, you should charge by the hour. And if it only took you 20 minutes, you don't want to charge a full hour of work. But you might have like trained your whole life to do that thing like three times faster than everyone else, right? And mm-hmm. you have to like, like if a, if a musician performed the perfect guitar solo um, and it only, you know, it's literally only taken them the amount of time to perform. And it, it just so happens that all of the chance factors align that it does become like the best index of a, of a guitar solo ever. It's not that there were many iterations. It's, I mean, it may be because there were many rehearsals prior to that performance, but the, it essentially is a single gesture performed perfectly by, and with a, with a, a bunch of luck thrown in that results in something transcendent, you know, and that, and that mm-hmm. can happen um, regardless of the amount of experience you have as well. Like you have to imagine that a 19 year old or 17 year old might be waking up tomorrow and they're about to perform a gesture, like an artistic gesture. They don't even know it yet that ends up becoming transcendent and that, that changes yeah. the world. Like it, it's yeah. completely possible because and, it's happened and- many, many times. And it's also completely possible that something happens and it only finds its place later. That, that happens a lot with technology. Someone in, tries to use a technology. And I'm saying this also happens for art. Like someone might find it, a way of working that is not relevant yet and mm-hmm. it's going to find its place 20 years later. Exactly. And the same, the same with technology. Like someone invents the database, the computer database, and it will take years for to find its killer app. Or someone invents the touchscreen and it takes 20 years for someone to fit it into the right yeah. format. The, the, the printer, the chip, the but this screen. Is the, this, the is the fold- this is the like point. Like the foldable screen, people are still trying to figure that out. But this is the point. All that stuff. It's like not up to you. Like we get back to this yeah. point where it's like none of this is up to you. <laughs> yeah, it's never finished. Yeah. It's a, it, I mean, like the crypto example is a great example where there are tons of experiments for years and years and people like writing it off as like BS, right? And then... You know, it hits a couple. It hits a couple of swings, right? It hits a couple home runs, and then people are like, "Well, why didn't we see this coming?" Or whatever. But a bunch of people did see and it. And then coming. it seems very, it seems finished in 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 retrospect. It's like, oh, of course it had to be this way, but <laughs> at the time it wasn't that clear. Yeah, exactly. We're all just finding our way. But but I, there is I, it's a group there's something when things be, in software when they're too clear, like oh, the hamburger menu goes there. The swipe goes here, and at some point, people want something new. So oh, yeah. It's also that that thing where the, maybe the smartphone now seems almost at its logical form, where it, it, you know, like you don't want to change anything about a horse. A horse is finished. You don't. You're not going to say like, oh, it needs six legs. Mm-hmm. And so, is the smartphone at the point of the horse, where it's just like, yeah, it's pretty much done. It's perfect. It's. Uh, well, I think the rule in software is like a 15 year old doesn't give a shit that that was the standard 20 years ago, right? Like, so yeah. you have this illusion that there are these psychological truths about how things should operate. or and, and it's true. It's like a modernist ideal, right? Like Ray and Charles Eames figured it all out. So like, we don't really need to reinvent this it. This is what a chair is. <laughs> That's exactly it. I'm thinking about them because I'm like, I'm trying to buy a desk right now. I'm like, God, they designed an incredible desk. This like I desk know. unit is amazing. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to talk to you about the home office, but we could do that. In yeah, the, we'll do another episode epilogue. just on like office furniture. Um, yeah. We'll talk. Well, I, yeah, let's do an episode about home offices. Yeah. yeah, but maybe we're exhausting this point, which is that. Yeah. You know, whether or not you think it's finished, you're not going to have much. <laughs> I think so does Barking because the episode is finished. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do have some field recordings, though, right? Like, which is a great. I love that this tradition is coming back. Yeah. And that people are sending these in. We have a field recording from our good friend, Ben Fino Radden. The awesome Ben Fino Radden. You hear, you hear Soda the dog. She's like, episode done. Christina. Yeah. Does she have to go to the bathroom? Perhaps. Perhaps. The dog is like, Episode done. <laughs> I think the dog's just a big fan of Ben, so. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But so let's listen to Ben Fino Radin's uh, late night lab recording, and uh, we'll, we'll all enjoy a communal uh, calm moment. Yeah, let's listen to what Ben's listening to. Thanks, Ben yep. Fino. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 